Well, good evening and welcome, my dear listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for it's either eight or nine years now. Uh, Here we speak for those with no voice. We speak truth to power. We share the news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%. I wonder, can you see it changing? Can you feel it? Sometimes I think the ground is shaking under the feet of some. I think that's a sign what we're doing is helping our long-awaited paradigm shift. So if uh, you haven't gotten off that couch yet, what are you waiting for? Be a part of that paradigm shift. Be a part of the wave. Find your sacred roar. That was one of our new special effects, (laughs) our sacred roar. (laughs) So uh, some shout-outs are due. Uh, Celia, for her music tonight, uh, what you heard was from a cut called Meta Prayer. Uh, Thanks, Celia. Also, I want to say hello uh, to a new listener. Uh, I'm just going to call her Susan from the Bible Belt. I want to uh, thank you for your email asking about a reading list and a bibliography. And it made me think maybe I should mention uh, I have wonderful bibliographies in all my books, but uh, the two books that were most instrumental to my life were Rianne Eisler's Chalice and the Blade and Merlin Stone's When God Was a Woman. These books changed the course of my destiny, and that's not an exaggeration by any means. I can only hope my books might have even a tenth of the impact on my readers that uh, these two women have had uh, to women and, and men uh, you know, across uh, Mother Earth. And uh, hello to Jean. Uh, I so appreciated your email telling me the archives made you feel like a kid in the candy store. That was really nice, Jean. Um, so all of you, you are gas in my tank. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, speaking of which, uh, if you're doing the gratitude and manifestation experiment with me, uh, don't forget to let me know how you're doing. I will report in to you that um, I... Uh, I have been doing my daily intention, starting off the day with 10 things I'm grateful for, and it really does make a difference uh, on days I forget. Uh, I don't have such a smooth day. I don't feel quite so up. Uh, You know, I have a little bit more of an edge. I also started seeing a particularly, um, you know, it's another thing I'm trying. I started seeing um, a particularly difficult person that I could very easily hate, and I hate that word. I probably shouldn't say that, but, you know, we're all human. Uh, Well, instead of focusing on how miserable he makes me, I have instead begun to see him sitting in a lotus flower surrounded by golden happiness and joy. And it makes it easier for me to take him and I got to tell you, he seems to have started treating me better. Honest, really. He actually joked with me today. So I'm just sharing my little success stories. You can try it too, uh, and let me hear from you uh, if you notice a difference in your life and uh, to those around you. And as far as manifestation goes, um, 
I have to say thank you, thank you to uh, Amalia Peck of the Goddess Studio in Escondido, which is right outside San Diego, for those of you not familiar with Southern California. Uh, This past weekend, uh, Amalia was a splendid hostess. I had to spend the uh, the weekend over at her place, uh, spend the night at her lovely home, because we ordained 62 women as reverend priestesses of the first veil. And what a lovely, lovely bunch of women, and what a glorious day. I felt so uh, gifted. I felt um, so wonderful. Uh, these are the women doing their work out there for goddess. Uh, they all have their own path. They have their little piece of the puzzle, as we all do, and they are going out there into the world making a difference. They have found their sacred roar. And Amalia and I, I think we felt like proud parents sending them off along their way uh, as as uh, priestesses. You know, they can marry people now. They can bury people. Uh, you know, they can bless babies. I mean, they can do anything a mainstream minister can do. Uh, you know, just as uh, Amalia and I. And also thanks to Brenda McCoy in Georgia of Deja Vu Oracles for sponsoring me in Wildemore on Sunday for a Goddess Day at the Grove. That was a great day, too, and I love meeting all the new women. I know some of you are listeners. Um, I want to thank you for being so receptive to my message and so hungry to learn. And you guys bought lots of my books. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, um, you know, you know, staying on the subject a little bit of gratitude and manifestation, I actually got a call uh, yesterday from the woman who was doing that love cruise. Now, you listeners heard me talking about the love cruise, and I was going to be a speaker. Well, I was invited to be a speaker, provided I got a certain number of sign-ups. Well, that actually didn't happen. I didn't get enough sign-ups, so Roy and I were not going to take the love cruise, uh, which starts Saturday. And, um, you know, so I just sort of erased it off the calendar. But uh, I got a call from the organizer yesterday saying, Karen, if you want to still take the cruise, we have a spot for you. If you'll still give talks, um, you know, we will we will let you take the cruise free. Well, you know, I had already told my boss I was going to work next week, and I didn't really want to go without Roy, uh, even though it meant I might have been able to sell some books and make a little bit of money. Um, but, but you know, there was the opportunity, you know, and that's the whole point. So, you know, this gratitude and manifestation thing really does work. So try to work it. Try to work it. All right, and uh, of course my thanks goes out to tonight's guest, who is also our current resident astrologer. Uh, Thanks tonight to Kathy Pagano, who is with us. Uh, Instead of just doing her usual, um, you know, horoscope astrology um, uh, prophecy for the, you know, sort of the cosmic story for the coming month, she's with us as our guest uh, because we're going to delve deeper. She's going to talk about archetypes and fairy tales and the divine feminine. And we're, we're going to begin in just a brief moment. Uh, but first, uh, I want to tell you to stay tuned with me uh, after my interview with Kathy for my What's the Buzz segment. I'm going to share with you this wonderful talk uh, uh, given by Jada Pinkett Smith called The War 
war on men through the degradation of women. It's not very long, it's short, but I think it's important. And if you don't believe the patriarchy hurts men, you will certainly want to listen. Or perhaps um, this will help you understand that damage to men in a different way. So please do listen. And uh, don't forget uh, last week's show. If you haven't listened yet, go to the archives, and it's featured on my show page. I had Professor Cara Cooney uh, on the show with me. She uh, is an uh, archaeologist, and uh, she did the Out of Egypt series on the Discovery Channel. We were discussing her new book on Hatshepsut. Uh, you will want to hear what we talked about with Hatshepsut. I think I look at uh, at her very, very differently than uh, before Cara uh, Cooney and her work came along. Uh, then next week, uh, I'll be with Nina Smart. Uh, we're discussing female genital mutilation, uh, a difficult subject, but it's important. You have to know about this because this is something perpetuated on women by other women, and this really has to stop. Um, and Mardi Gras is next Tuesday, uh, so you will hear from me about the pagan roots of Mardi Gras next week. Uh, I bet you didn't know that there was a herstory to Mardi Gras. Well, there is, and I'll take a little time and read you some excerpts out of my Sacred Places of Goddess book, uh, and you will find out about that. And um, it made me think about uh, when I used to live in New Orleans. Uh, God, I wish we had good king cakes here in Los Angeles. People just don't make them here like they did uh, in New Orleans. I was actually going to order one from Gambino's Bakery there in New Orleans and have it shipped in, but that would have got kind of pricey. And I miss the Doberge cakes, too. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, pop me an email. The food is the thing I miss about not living in New Orleans anymore. And uh, oh, maybe Mardi Gras, maybe the magnolia trees and the Spanish moss, maybe the saints, maybe the French Quarter, maybe fried crawfish and crawfish boils. Okay, okay, okay. I guess I do miss a lot more about New Orleans than I'm willing to admit sometimes. Uh, I don't miss the heat and the humidity. No, no, no. Or the cockroaches. They have wings. Ugh, creepy, creepy things. Um, then the final show of February will be with Jean Shinoda Bolin discussing her new book on Artemis and how the archetype is infusing women today with courage, tenacity, and the spirit to change the world. You don't want to miss any of this. It seems like Artemis is really trending because my good friend James Rietfeld, his book on Artemis is just out now at the very same time. So, all right, all of that housekeeping out of the way, it's time to chat with tonight's insightful guest and wise woman, Kathy Pagano. Uh, I will tell you more about her by way of her bio, then we will start her chat. So, uh, Kathy is a Jungian-trained uh, counseling uh, psychotherapist and evolutionary astrologer. She is a priestess of Sekhmet and a wisdom coach. She's written Wisdom's Daughters, How Women Can Change the World, a symbolic study of the return of the divine feminine is wisdom at the present turning of the ages. She's also written an e-book called Stories of the Earth, Eight Tales of the Wheel of the Year, Fairy Tales for the Eight Pagan Gateways of the Year. I'm going to have to get one of those. Um, her websites are wisdomofastrology.com, and there are dashes between the words. Also, imaginecoachingservices.com. Also, starofthebored.com. 
and she can be reached if you want to get in touch with her for a reading or something of that sort at Kathy at wisdomofastrology.com. And there are dashes between the words wisdomofastrology.com. I know she does a lot of dream work, too, and... um, uh, all sorts of good stuff this lady uh, can talk to us about. And I'm so glad uh, she is uh, she is a friend and fellow uh, priestess. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Karen. So, How are you today? You know, I am not doing too bad. Um, you know, things, uh, things have been uh, really perking up. You know, whenever I remember to do my gratitude and manifestation rituals of the morning, so uh, so yeah, you know, it it sort of makes you feel like your life is more in your hands, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes. Well, when we have when we when we create a sacred context like that, it does. Yeah, also, I, I, maybe you're feeling. No, no, go go ahead. You you were sounded like you were about to say something important. Well, I was going to say maybe we're feeling better too because Mercury has just gone direct as of yesterday <sighs> morning. <laughs> okay, maybe that's it too because I tell you, a lot of my friends were were struggling these last few weeks. What I think it uh, Mercury went retrograde for about three weeks, didn't it? Yes, yes. And in the sign of Aquarius, so it really was having us really look at the way we see the world and the stories we tell ourselves about the world. And and it feels like with Mercury retrograde there, it was really time for a paradigm shift. We really have to step into this new story, this new mindset that we've all hmm. been believing in, but we don't really totally live in. And right. you living with the gratitude and manifesting things, that's living in this more quantum reality, if you will, rather than the Cartesian you know, reality that our world is built on. Right, right. Well, and, and you know, when you say, something you just said, the way you phrased it, um, um, oh, and I can't remember the words you used, but it made me think, yes, 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 because, you know, I was just looking at the news and you had these people, you know, coming together, you know, saying Muslim lives matter, and just recently it was Black Lives Matter, and you know we know all the stuff that's been going on in the news about domestic violence and the NFL and assaults on college campuses. You know, it feels like we are maybe starting to demand that we raise the bar, and you know, we're not going to accept the abuse, we're not going to accept the hatred, um, you know, we're not going to let the world get hijacked you know, by the haters, the ignorant, the intolerant, the dominators. That's right. I think uh, President Obama, I didn't hear the speech, but he talked about how we have to be humble and not say that only Muslims are barbaric, that just very recently we have been just as barbaric, um, hanging black men and burning them on trees and, and, of course, the Christian Inquisition. And so even though, you know, the politicians don't want to handle subjects like this, I think it's coming, I think these astrological times are making us face the um, the hypocrisy and the darkness and the violence of our culture. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I and, and I know, I, I don't mean what I'm about to say to be polarizing, but, you know, I, I think 
you know, you know, maybe to be a leader means to not just be neutral, but to, you know, but to, but to say things, you know, even if they're difficult things. And, you know, I, I think sometimes when the right wing panders to their base, you know, who's fearful, you know, who are fearful of anybody that's not Christian, anybody who's not their skin color, anybody who's not, you know, doesn't have their same God and not like them, um, you know, they diminish us. And I can't help but think that if the left would get, you know, get, you know, maybe take the moral high ground a little bit more and and say this kind of stuff, you know, that, that we want to raise the bar, you know, we want to do away with this fear and ignorance and intolerance, that we want to have a more spiritual world where we care about one another. You know, it feels like to me they would earn themselves a lot of friends because that's the world I think most of us really do want to create. We don't want to have a world of hate. No, we really don't. And I think that's why the grassroots movement uh, with Elizabeth Warren is getting so powered up. They feel that she is a truth speaker and a fighter and um, not politically correct, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, this uh, this might not at first seem like in, in alignment with what we're talking about, but give me a minute to explain. When I was talking to Kara Cooney about Queen Hatshepsut and her rise to power, it was really interesting because I had just heard her talk at the Getty Museum, and she talked about how throughout history, the only time a woman has risen to power was in um, when there was some emergency or some sort of catastrophic event. And even when she did, the people allowed her to do so because she had a man at her side. And she actually brought up Hillary and Elizabeth Warren, and you know she was talking about Hatshepsut because Hatshepsut rises to power because there's an emergency. There is no male heir to put on the throne. So people tolerated her, and she also... So was able to, she thinks, maintain that power because um, she created a lot of positions at the palace. She spread a lot of money around. And, you know, she kept people happy that way. They were invested. They were all doing well. So, you know, so she had this long reign of about 18 or 20 years. So then she goes, you know, and then she shows us this chart of current day, all the women across the globe who are in positions of power, prime ministers, presidents, whatever their title is, they are all there, again, by some um, situation of, of emergency or, um, you know, it, it wasn't like they were sort of just cleanly elected and they all had a man at their side, which brings me to uh, Elizabeth Warren versus Hillary. She, uh, Kara Cooney said, isn't it interesting how many people, she said, even you evolved people, you know, who, you know, you think you're evolved sitting out here in the Getty Museum audience, how many of you you will admit that you think, sure, I'll vote for Hillary, and but your mind goes, because you know what? She's got Bill, you know? She gets into a jam, she can turn to Bill. But who does Elizabeth Warren have? Will Elizabeth Warren have a man at her side? And, you know, of course, she, you know, the Karakuni wasn't happy to be delivering this news about how um, women managed to obtain these high offices of power, but it does make you think, 
You know, could somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who's not closely aligned with a male, um, to make people feel more confident? I wonder if we're ready. You know, does society have to see a, a woman with a man propping her up? Well, I mean, you're going to have Gene Bolin on talking about Artemis. Artemis has no man. And, True. Um, right? And so <laughs> perhaps this archetype is spontaneously arising because women need to become virginal again. And even though ancient Artemis wasn't a virgin in the sense of no sex, she belonged to herself. So yeah. who knows? That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I thought it was it was just uh, you know kind of an, an an interesting road to go down, you know, and see, you know, are we are are we evolved enough to think that uh, you know think that a woman can do something like this on her own? Because look, you know, we don't. Because you know, it was interesting when Kara was given this talk. She started out by having the faces of four women on the screen. She had Condoleezza Rice. She had um, Hillary, she had Angela Merkel, she had Margaret Thatcher. She said, now, when you look at these pictures, don't, aren't you tempted just a little bit to look at their hair, to look how they're dressed, to decide if they look old or if they're aging well? Then she flipped it over to men, you know, and it was four men leaders. She said, do we worry about their tie? Do we think about their gray hair? You know, and she was right. so right. You know, she was so right. I think even f- feminists, uh, you know, maybe even we fall into that trap a little bit. Well, you know, the, our, our eyes are, we use more our sight than any other um, sense in our culture. And um, definitely men do that. And we certainly as fathers daughters have trained ourselves to be like men in that way. Yeah. So perhaps we do, but but also we're at that point where we're coming back and we're looking at the soul of things. And um, even if it isn't someone like Elizabeth Warren, I think as you told everybody in the opening, it's time. Go on out and do something. And I think maybe we'll be seeing more women leaders in the community, um, creating community. And I'm wondering if women get elected in times of trouble because of an ancient memory of mommy will take care of us. Daddy you never know about. Daddy might go off and not come back, but... Mom is always there. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, because that goes to, uh, I mean, they know in third world countries they will invest money in a woman because the money will go into the household, into a business where you give the money to the man of the household and he goes and drinks it at the bar. So, yeah, we just have to remember that, that women are good at cleaning up the messes. So (laughs) why don't we just put everything in charge of the family, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so why don't we just let the women be in charge, you know, let's just get over it. (laughs) I think so. I think think it would be good, and I think it's coming. But, you know, it's very interesting because astrologically, okay, so just a quick look at the astrology of the times right now. In March, on March 16th, will be the seventh of those squares between Uranus and Pluto that I've been talking about. And um, the the end of that series, even though the energy will still be around. And, and I think that's why we're all seeing what's wrong with the world. In the last two or three years, everything that is corrupt and dead and deadening in the world has been brought to our attention 
um, the way that they're talking with the police now about the way they um, they profile people and the way they have violence and and so these sad things that come up and these these um, you know have are, are, we're learning because everybody's seeing them and so now everybody's saying oh we have to change this so with that coming up in March the last one. Um, it will be it, it will sort of set the cap on things, but personally, we all have to step into a new paradigm, and that's what was interesting about what you said about manifestation. It has to do with, like I said, getting out of a more Cartesian, flat Earth understanding of science and the Earth into um, what isn't new anymore, but for most people, it is that quantum understanding of what we look at, we manifest and where we put our attention on. So you don't sit there and say, I don't want to be fat anymore because the universe here is fat. And so it says, great, you want more fat? Let's put some on on you. Um, but, you know, about relief, you know, so it's about how we think about the world and um, understand um, our place in the world, which is receptors for Mother Earth, co-creators with Mother Earth. Um, a friend of mine was telling me that when she lived in Alaska for six months, she said, the earth just spoke to her. It was so quiet there that she could really listen to what Mother Earth was saying. And we have to get back to that kind of belief system that we can do this. Yeah, yeah. And Because, you know, if you say that to somebody, they kind of think you're a little wacko or you're deluding yourself or something, you know, wishful thinking. Yeah, but those are the people that are deluded because they live in such a narrow perspective. They think... They bought into the fallacy that we are not part of the earth, that yeah. we're better than everything else on the earth, that we're here to rule the earth, that we're spiritual beings unconnected to the earth rather than spiritual beings who have come down to embody the life of the earth. And um, so they're really the crazy ones. And part of our job, don't you think, Karen, is not to not to sit there and go, oh, no, you're going to think I'm weird or crazy, but to actually stand up and say, that's okay. But that is a false belief. It's a limiting belief. And this belief is a much bigger belief, and it's a much truer belief to what science and mystics have to say about life. So um, I think we have to get over worrying about people thinking we're weird because we already know we are. So it shouldn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I've always called it the fringe of the fringe. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and sometimes I'm the fringe of the fringe of the fringe. <laughs> um, but, no, you're right. You know, I think, you know, depending on who our audience is, you know, we're a little hesitant sometimes to, you know, talk about things that, you know, we think we'll lose our credibility. I mean, look, even spirituality, even religion, um, Kathy, don't you think some people are afraid to say, for instance, that they believe that there is a goddess in the sky that they can pray to because they believe some people will think of that as anti-intellectual, you know. I was just interviewed by a guy on a radio show, um, you know, earlier in the week, and he said, well, of course we all believe that in goddesses archetype, but you really believe there's somebody up there? And I said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but don't you think there's a God up there? So if you think there's really a God up there, why can't you believe that there is a goddess up there? And if you've had, you know, a magical experience, if you've had a miracle happen in your life, you know, it's hard to deny that there is some force out there that does 
hear us, you know. Um, But but I think, you know, depend, especially if you're in an academic environment maybe, um, you know, where you're full of a bunch of scientists and eggheads, or I think about Bill Moore. You know, I mean, I love Bill Moore, but Bill Moore is so um, anti-religion. And also anti-intuition, anti-feminine. He's very left brain, and and that's the problem with our culture, but with scientists and academics. They, they they when the enlightenment came along they thought they had hit the jackpot but you know in taking that enlightenment too far what happens is we become mechanistic if you think about our society basically people are living are working in places that are fit for machines but they're not fit for people yeah and um you know and and so that mechanistic left brain Cartesian belief about that the world is a machine is still very prevalent even if people don't know it. It's an underlying belief that's created a very deadening culture. So the fact that we're giving them a revelation, they might not like it, but, you know, part of it is that that um, you have to be able to speak the truth and and be able to articulate it. And that's why it's so important for people like you and me to be able to speak of the imagination and the divine feminine, but in terms of that the men can understand and that the rational people can understand. Yeah, because for too many people, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. And we know how crazy that 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 is, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's antichrist. I tell all my Christian friends, our society is antichrist. When we believe that all we can see is all there is, that's against Christ consciousness. Because Christ consciousness basically says, guess what? Everything's spirit. Good point. And then Sophia, his mate, says, and if you listen, spirit will tell you how to live well. (laughs) And you marry those two, and you have wisdom and knowledge in a perfect combination. And that's the other thing that's going to happen this year. Venus and Mars are going to start a new cycle. So a whole new balance between the masculine and the feminine. On February 22nd, um, they're going to come together in the beginning of Aries, so a new a new vision. And then um, Venus is going to go retrograde later on this summer, in the middle of the summer. That just means she looks like she's going backwards from a mild point of view. And then she'll meet up with Mars again two more times. So there's this process that's going on. from, And it's interesting because it's Aries, Leo, and Virgo. So Aries says, let's give birth to something new in relationship. Leo says, when they come together in Leo, they say, we are both divine kings and queens. We are equal partners. And then in Virgo, it says, let's get to work. What does the world need from us? Because, of course, the king and the queen is the servant of the people in the best ways, you know. Mm. And so there's a real hope this year that that there will be a new balance between men and women and Mm. between the masculine and the feminine. Well, I'm voting for it. (laughs) I'm out there. I'm out there hoping for it. You you know, Kathy, we actually have Dianics in our community who are actually starting to talk about not just teaching women anymore. They're actually seeing that, you know, the need to be more loving and, you know, embrace more types of people, and they are starting to teach transgenders and even men. So, you know, I think... 
I think that is so progressive, so um, so loving, you know, because I because I think that's always ultimately the test, you know, um, it, it, is it loving, you know, is it loving? It, I think you know, so are, too. Are, you it know, is all people, about love. Yeah, I mean, are people are people being helped or are people being hurt, you know? And um, anyway, so yeah, yeah well, we, the men the men have been just as ravaged by the patriarchy as women in a very different way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not raped, well, a lot raped and pillaged as women are, young boys and young men, both definitely. But um, just the way they've been trained to cut off their emotions. And um, and if women aren't the ones who, who help to heal that, who will heal that? Exactly, exactly. You know, I have long been a proponent of, uh, you know, even Dianics teaching men, and I would get a lot of flack for it, you know, because, you know, women were still saying, well, what about us? We've been denied all of this time. You know, we need our own thing. And I said, well, you can have your own thing, but how do you ever expect to teach men what we want them to know? How do you expect men to know what we want them to know if we aren't their teachers? You know, are they, are they right. going to get it through osmosis or something? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we're going to do a class for men called Who is That Masked Man? And um, we're going to talk about the four archetypes of the mature masculine, the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. And um, But then also have the men make masks because the women here, a group of women here, we've done goddess math and, and had a big initiation. So these women are getting in touch with their goddess selves through the mask-making process. So we're doing that with men, and, and the response has been quite interesting. The men are very excited that we're actually sharing some of our our mystery school with them. <laughs> wow, wow, that sounds incredible. Um, I, You know, I, I wish somebody would do something like that uh you know, here in L.A., that would be really interesting. Hmm. Well, let us know. We'll come in all three of You know, we can do it all together. Because yeah, maybe it so. It really is important for men. Um, you know, I think we've, we've certainly pointed the finger at men. And, you know, I read someplace that patriarchy is boy psychology. Because boy psychology is very much about being a tyrant, being a weakling, being um, a bully, being a sadist, all of the things that patriarchy has evolved into. Um, And it certainly isn't the um, true king or the true masculine. And so the more that we encourage our men to step into their full power as men, um, the better the world will be. And um, and so we can't reject half the world's population. Right, right, absolutely. Especially the population that's more inclined to go to extremes um, either cutting off their passion or being overwhelmed by their passion. I always think of Hercules having to kill the lion, whereas in the tarot card of strength, the woman tames the lion. Right, right, right. Which very, means we very... can still roar, but they can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I really like that analogy. That's uh, That's really great. Well, before we start on your talk, was there any more that you wanted to tell us about the rest of uh, February or March? Or, well, yeah. Um, the thing is, every you know, because we are we don't live in a lunar calendar, um, and we live in a solar calendar with twelve months. The moon cycle changes and flips every maybe year and a half, and by that I mean that the usual cycle is a new moon and then a full moon right? And then a new moon again. 
in a certain sign. And the new moon, you know, we read, we plant a seed of something. So the new moon in Aquarius, we plant a seed of, of a bigger vision of life and and a, a connection to the archetypal, pro, you know, um, powers of the world. And then when the new full moon can't comes, it would be Leo because Leo is opposite Aquarius. And then we would say, okay, and how do we bring our creative vision um, to the group because of that? And then the next new moon would be in um, a Pisces with the Virgo full moon. Well, this year we've come to a flip. And so in, on the 18th, we're going to have the second new moon in Aquarius, right around um, the Chinese New Year. And what will happen is we'll have a new moon in one sign and a full moon in a totally different sign. Hmm. Um, and so there's going to be a disconnect for the next year and a half a bit. It won't be um, as easy a flow. We're going to be trying to fit together two different energies. And um, and it's just like, um, we mis- I think we misunderstand things. We call a blue moon, we say, oh, there's a blue moon. That's a full moon. And according to the way our society thinks of it, it's when you have two full moons in a calendar month. But that's not true. It, a blue moon is when you have two full moons in an astrological sign. And they call a black moon when you have an extra new moon in a three-month period. But in reality, it's, it's having two new moons in an astrological sign, which basically means you have a new moon at the very beginning of the sign at zero degrees and another new moon at 30 degrees. So you're fitting something into a 30-degree sign that usually doesn't fit there. And that's because we really have pretty much 13 moons every year rather than 12. So this there is going to be a flip for the next year and a half starting in February. And that's going to just, and also we have to just feel our way. It's like weaving something together that maybe doesn't feel like it belongs together, but, but it will. Interesting. As if, as if you know, life weren't confusing and tumultuous enough. Enough. <laughs> But this happens every year and a half. So in about a year and a half, um, one month we're going to have two full moons in an astrological sign, and there'll be a blue moon, and then the cycle will go back to having a new moon and then a full moon. Now we're going to, starting in in, um, in this next week, we'll have that new moon in Aquarius and then a full moon in Virgo and then a new moon in Pisces and then a full moon in Libra. So it's going to be off. The cycle will be up a bit. And um, basically it's just about, okay, you bring dualities together. How do you bring a duality together? How do you bring two realities together? Which makes sense because if our big task is to um, live in a quantum universe and yet manifest in the reality that we live in, um, that's like bringing two separate worldviews together. Right, right, right. I, I think yeah. I see what you mean. I think we're being trained by the universe to become conscious um, ambassadors of the earth, let's say. Okay. And maybe we won't have to be ambassadors because aliens are coming in. Maybe we have to be <laughs> ambassadors because Mother Earth needs somebody to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Or somebody to listen to her. Who knows? You yeah. can tell that I'm a storyteller. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I certainly can. 
Well, um, so so tonight, uh, Kathy, your your topic, um, we were going to delve a little bit more deeply into what archetypes are and how fairy tales and archetypes work together. And, um, you know, just, I mean, I usually tell people that archetypes are role models because it seems like it's easier to, uh, you know, for people to understand. But maybe you have a better definition. Um, why don't you start by explaining what archetypes or to listeners who, you know, maybe aren't quite sure. Okay. Well, um, my of course, my background is in Jungian psychology. And the way Carl Jung described archetypes were that they were, um, they were our behavior patterns. They were the, our instinctual patterns that make us human. And, and on one, on, if you had a spectrum, on one end would be an instinct, and on the other end would be an archetype. So there's an instinct to mother, and so you have the great mother archetype. There's an instinct in, in, us, in human beings to father people, to offer a bridge into the world and, and mentor. And so then on the instinct on one level is on one end, and the archetype is on the other. I think that they're probably like netters in ancient Egypt. I think archetypes are the natural laws of the universe, and of our world, and um, you can't know archetypes in themselves. They exist on another plane of existence, um, but you can know them through their images and their stories. So the way we know... Wait, wait, Kathy, before you keep going, are you on a speakerphone? Because you're just a little bit echoey. Okay. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, it, it is much better. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay. No, I wasn't on a on a speakerphone, but so anyway, archetypes are, are something very hard to define, but they lay out patterns of human behavior. So you have, and so um, Jungians believe that fairy tales are the show us the most basic archetypal patterns. So this whole discussion, the fact that we're even talking, came from when you, a couple of months ago when you had wonderful people on talking about feminist fairy tales. And I, um, and I spoke to you and I said, well, you know, yes, we have had patriarchy and women have been put down and ignored and violated for many thousands of years because of patriarchy. But the fairy tales aren't as simplistic as sometimes feminists want to make them out to be. Um, you know, Walt Disney made um, made the whole, you know, Cinderella into, you know, whoever she was when we were little. And, you know, and yes, we thought the prince will come and save us. But for a youngin, it says the archetype, because the, usually fairy tales, especially when they have a king and a queen in it, they relate to the society. They aren't, they aren't talking about personal psychology. They're talking about collective psychology. They're talking so about patterns of behavior in a culture. So why don't you, I, I mean, if you're prepared to do this, why don't you take a myth that we're all familiar with and sort of break it down this way and tell us maybe what it was really intended to say to us as opposed to maybe the message we got from Walt Disney. Right. 
Well, um, I can do it quickly, and then I have a fairy tale I could tell, and I could help you break that one down too. But sure. quickly, there's 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 like 800 variants of the fairy tale of Cinderella, and wow, um, and that's yeah, I know, all over the world. But the interesting thing is that Cinderella is stands is a stand-in for Lady Wisdom for Sophia, because L or Ella comes from the Jewish Bible in the beginning, in the um, in the first few books of the Bible, God is, it's interesting because there's two sources. If you do any biblical scholarship, you know, there's two sources. And in one, God is Yahweh. And in another, he's the Elohim, or the Elohim. And the Elohim are a conglomerate. They're more than one. And they could have been aliens. We don't know. But anyway, um, but Ella... So Cinderella becomes um, a story about wisdom that has been rejected and, and left in the ashes. And it's about how the culture, the um, collective dominant, who is the king in a fairy tale, and the prince, the next collective dominant, if you will, the thing that, that the culture centers itself around, it's looking for a feminine partner. And Cinderella, the rejected one, the one who is humble, the one who does work without complaining, which we pick on it as feminists. And we say, oh, that's just men wanting to keep us in the kitchen. But the divine feminine is humble and, and wants to serve and wants to love and wants to connect. And so uh, a fairy tale like Cinderella is really about um, is, can the collective pick the right feminine feeling tone um, to bring wisdom back into itself. Hmm. So who who then in Cinderella is the stepmother and the nasty stepsisters? Well, that would be the patriarchal feminine, the feminine that does that is only for the masculine in all things, and that therefore because it's cut off from its own feminine roots, is greedy and wants power. When ah. patriarchy rejects the feminine it comes back with a vengeance, and it comes back wanting power. And so that's all the fairy tales about the evil witch, okay? Because when, when the masculine takes over, um, the feminine says, help, I need to, I'm in life here, people, and you're not listening to me, so I guess I'm going to have to scare the hell out of you and come back as the evil witch because you're not listening. I see, it's, I see. You know, it's the divine mother split it, in between the good and the bad mother, um, unlike Kali, who's both the, the 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 nurturing mother and the devouring mother, patriarchy has split the archetype of the feminine into good and bad. Mm. And when you only allow the good and you repress the bad, the bad comes back with a vengeance. Well, and and I learned, I think, from you that. Um, there was a lot of darkness in these fairy tales that sort of got cut out, like the stepsisters, you know, cut off their toes or their heels or something. And their heels, yeah. So was there, what was that about? Or is that just, you know, more, um, you know, more perpetuation of the, the, the dark feminine? Well, yes and no. The, it, it's willing it's a feminine um, aspect that's willing to um, wound its own standpoint to try to gain power. 
Now, it's interesting because what's a glass slipper? You know, a shoe covers our standpoint. So in a way, when you do dream work and you say, what's the symbolism of a shoe? It says it's it's our standpoint. It's a, it's a, It makes our standpoint steady. It gives us a strong standpoint. And so a glass slipper would say, oh, this standpoint is transparent. It's maybe truthful. Maybe they were looking for um, truth in that at that time in society. Hmm. Very and so interesting. So they were looking for where is the true feminine? And when the when you have the uh, what I call the father's daughter, the women who are for the masculine who try to be like men because they want that kind of power, they're willing to wound their own standpoint. They're willing to go against their own um, health and goodness, if you will. It's Sarah like Palin. the women who, yeah, <laughs> and it's like the women who 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 hurt their, you know, the other woman with the um with what you're going to talk about next week about the um my female genital mutilation. Yeah, female yeah. genital. It's women who perpetuate that. That's like being. That's like the evil stepmother and the and the stepsisters. Very willing to perpetuate hurt and pain because they've been hurt, but also they want the power. Right, 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 right. Uh, they're benefiting from the patriarchal status quo, so they keep it propped up. Right. So now in Cinderella, we know like the animals come to her aid and she uses magic. Is that sort of the feminine tapping into the power of nature that, yes. you know, maybe we've forgotten? Definitely, and the imagination. Magic comes out of the imagination, doesn't it? I mean, when we say we intend something, basically we're going into the into the imaginal world and we're seeing it and feeling it and tasting it and saying, this is so, right? And then mm-hmm. you put your intent out there. And the more that you can put your senses in it, the more you can feel it and taste it and smell it, the, the, they say the quicker you can manifest it like any... Any course in magic will tell you that you have to learn to build the temple in the um, uh, uh, the Akashic realm, if you will. And so there's this sense that, you know, Cinderella is the divine feminine. And so she can call on nature and she can call on the magic of the imagination to get her to, and, and to, so that she can go and appear in front of this new king Okay, this new feeling, this new doingness, if you will, a collective dominance. What what we as a collective feel we need to do, what we value, and says, "Here I am. I'm beautiful, and my standpoint is clear. I'm not trying to fool you. This is come and be with me." And so then, um, of course, you know that there is something very mysterious about the feminine. It doesn't. It isn't steady. That's why I think patriarchy, you know, tried to get rid of superstition and the idea of magic because it's not consistent. It's not dependable like a machine. Right, right. Right? Well, in nature, too, I mean, well, in, in, uh, you know, nature, too, I mean, you know, you can't control nature. No, you can't. And yet, yeah. you know, George MacDonald, one of my favorite fantasy writers, he was, he, um, he lived back in 1850 and he was one of the first fantasy writers. But anyway, 
he wrote about fantasy writing, and he said, he said, um, people think I'm trying to say something or other with because he wrote fairy tales, very beautiful fairy tales. He said, but not really. It's what you get out of it, just like in nature. Nature, you go out into nature, and there's not one message there. Everybody gets their own message. Right. You know, nature speaks to us. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and makes us think thoughts. You know, he said, makes us think thoughts of great import, but not the same thoughts necessarily. Right, and and I can see where for, for instance, patriarchy, who wants to have power over and control, it's like they wouldn't know where something was coming from, if you know what I mean. They couldn't yeah. anticipate, um, you know, and, and it's hard to just sort of go with the flow because they, you know, that's too scary a thing, you know, to... Right. To to just have the courage to go with the flow, you know, they want it very regimented and, um, right. like you said, very machine-like and methodical and predictable. Yeah, yeah, and that comes from fear. You know, when you have to control something, it's probably because of fear. And I always think of, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution really was born in America. We were founded by the East Indian Corporation. Okay, we think we're this big country of freedom, but of all the countries in the world, our country was founded on the ideals of the Industrial Revolution. Europe had ancient history to go by. All other countries, probably except for Australia, you know, had you know, had their own culture before the Industrial Revolution, but we didn't. And so as Ameri- as people came from Europe and traveled across this big giant country of ours, it was scary. They were scared because they weren't living in touch with nature as the Native Americans were. So the Native Americans represented a scary aspect, and so did the land. And so I think that we got into even a more rigid place because the land was untamed, not like in Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, and so and so repression and control and all the worst of masculine power, you know, developed in that sense. So, yeah, yeah, fairy tales are like that. Like, there's a fairy tale that I love and I use in my book called Alalai Rao. And in it, it's sort of a, it's a symbol. It's not really a a Cinderella, but it sort of is. Yeah, because the variants are very different. But in this one, it's about a king and a queen who loved each other so much that they, you know, when the queen was going to die, she asked the king, um, to promise to only marry someone as beautiful as she was and with the same golden hair. And um, he didn't want to promise, but he did. And when she died, you know, he could never find anyone until his daughter grew up, and there she was, as beautiful as her mother, and with the same golden hair. And the king wanted to marry his daughter. Mm. And this fairy tale, I think, was talking is talking about... Um, what's been happening in the last two or three hundred years in Western society. Um, here's a father's daughter. A father who wants to marry his daughter means that any, you know, the princess in a fairy tale represents a new feeling tone that has come into the culture. It would be like in the 60s when all of a sudden we realized we have to take care of the earth. Oh, and we have to have our own spiritual connection to, to the God force. We don't want religion anymore. And we can heal ourselves. So this whole new feeling tone arose. 
And then the king wanting to marry the daughter is like our our corporate structure saying, oh, now we're all environmentalists. Well, they're really not. You know, so they take over the new feeling and want to control it and own it. So in the spirit tale, the, the princess says, well, I can't marry you unless you make me a, a dress of the sun, a dress of the moon, and a dress of the stars, which is very like Cinderella, because in a lot of the of Cinderella fairy tales, she goes to three balls in the dress of the sun, the dress of the moon, the dress of the stars, representing solar consciousness, lunar consciousness, and so and star consciousness, if you will, or religious or spiritual consciousness. So in this one, though, she asked for a, a mantle with every single kind of fur in it, a bit of every fur. And, of course, the king, she didn't think the king could do it, but he had everybody in his kingdom do it. Um, the hunters went out and killed the animals. The maidens somehow created the dresses. And um, so he said, we're getting married. Here they are. And so she had to run away. And in the fairy tale, she runs away and lives in her mantle of fur. And she gets uh, hooked up with a whole other king. And um, she works in his castle, and then she appears at the balls in these beautiful dresses, and the king falls in love with her. Um, and so it is a variant of that Cinderella motif, but look at her. She's not just a wimpy girl. She takes things into her own hands. She leads the patriarchy, and isn't that what we've all done? All of us goddess women, we've gotten our education, but then we've left it. And where have we gone? Back into the body back into celebrating earth um, rituals. We're, we're embodying, we're getting back into our instincts. And then we're out of those instincts, we're manifesting new types of, of, of solar consciousness, new types, new connections to the imagination, new spiritual revelation. And, so, and then hopefully we'll become that beautiful princess that the new king will want to, you know, create a new society with. So these fairy tales can speak of collective transformations and and not necessarily just, oh, there's, you know, patriarchy's trying to um, say that women aren't strong and that we need a prince to save us. So, uh, Kathy, let me ask you, when someone reads a fairy tale, um, you know how we were, you were just saying before, you know, you go out in nature and nature made to say different things to different people. Is it the same thing with fairy tales? I mean, it's a, is it wrong if, for instance, somebody read that um, fairy tale that you just described and interpreted it differently? No, or does it depend on the symbols? Huh? Well, of course you can. Everyone's going to take what they can get from it. Um, if, in terms of symbolic language, though, so you go through the symbols and you get an understanding of something, okay? Um, like in my book, I use this fairy tale and I actually interpret it so that people can look and say, this is how you would pull apart a dream or a fairy tale and understand symbolic language because I think it's so important for us to reclaim our ability to understand symbolic language. That's how right. the psyche talks to us. That's how the earth talks to us, through symbols, through images, through feelings. So it's a language that we've all forgotten, but that we all can remember. But let so, me yes, ask you about that, though. Everyone can get a different though. feeling for it. But, but let me ask you about that, though. You know, when somebody will tell you their dream, and, you know, I've often heard my teachers say to the person, 
asking them to interpret the dream, they'll say, well, you know, the symbols mean something different for you than they do to me, so you have to interpret your own dream. So I, I guess that's, you know, I, I'm sort of feeling a disconnect. Or are there some universal symbols and then maybe some personal symbols? Is that the distinction? Well, I think it's both. I think all symbols are in a way universal, but then we all have our personal connection to them. So a horse will symbolize certain things. We have a horse symbolizing movement and and um, power, but then you and then you have the goddess Rhiannon in Welsh mythology, who's a horse goddess, and so that adds different things to it. But if you've never ridden a horse, if you've never petted a horse, okay, your relationship to horse will be very different if you dream about horses than for someone who's a horsewoman. Right, 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 right. Right, right. And so a horse is so the symbols, the sim, the symbolism will be the same for everyone, but the the specific connection will be different. Okay. So when I do dream classes, um, mostly what I do is I ask good questions. Do you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like people need to pull apart symbols and understand them, and so. Yeah. And we tend to forget to do that on our own. And so a good dream interpretation, you know, people um, can look at a dream and go, oh, that just means that. But if you really look at it and interpret in a more universal way, it can tell you so much more. Because a sign is flat. It's like a stop sign. A symbol takes you deep into the collective unconscious and can mean many things. (laughs) So, you know... um, so it, it's both, and that's what I love about feminine consciousness because it says it can be this and that, whereas left brain rational consciousness says it can either be this or that. Yeah, so it's I a little like bit to more absolute. Both. Yeah, yeah. I like to say more. it's both. Okay. A lot okay. of people read that that fairy tale, which is called Alalai Rao. It's a German, um, a, a Grimm's brother fairy tale. Um, and um, and see it as, as the patriarchy raping the feminist. And definitely it is in many ways. Um, and there's a beautiful book, a uh, fantasy novel called Deerskin um, by Robin McKinley who takes this fairy tale and in it the king does rape his daughter and she has to go and heal and, she, and she's changed and she's different. But... but and and so there's all different ways to read the fairy tales, but if you look at it and understand the archetypal principle behind it, it shows you a progression. Right. And that fairy tale basically is saying, once we're father's daughters, our fa- the father God is going to try to marry us, which means we don't get to pick our own masculine way of being. The father God is, or the father is going to say, good, you have that talent, I'm going to use it. But really, what a woman wants to do, if you took it on that level, is I want to find my own man. I don't want to marry my father. Okay? Right. Or the feeling tone for everyone, if you talk to people, nobody's happy with their job. Okay? You, whether you're a teacher or you're this or that, uh, you know, I talk to clients and, like, I hate my job. We, our economy is not creating jobs that are life-fulfilling. 
so that's the, the father trying to marry the daughter once again, whereas the daughter would say, if the daughter was free to pick her own prince, her own king, she would say, hey, everybody, let's create a whole new way to have an economy where you are creative and you have time to be with the people you love and whatever. And so Mm -hmm. this fairy tale is telling us as women, we need to run away from the patriarchy. We have to stop listening to how to be professional, perhaps. Perhaps, I'm not saying as a, you know, that it has to be. We need to leave it. We need to get back in our bodies. We have to own our bodies, own our instincts, and filter everything, all the knowledge we have through our own sense of what's true. And rather basically, than the pa- we have to live it. Yeah, rather than rather than the patriarchy being in control of it and, right. and, and us in uh, service to it. Yeah, because, you know, patriarchy, a lot of times, what it is is you know something in your head, but you haven't incarnated it. Right? Mm-hmm. Knowledge is something we know with our brain, with our mind, with our intellect. Wisdom is knowledge that we live and that we've experienced. Very true. Very true. Big right? difference. So we're in a transition now as women gain power to say, Knowledge isn't enough. We need wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of the difference between, you know, reading a recipe or taste in the stew, so to speak. Yeah. And that's why someone like Hillary Clinton, to me, is too much of a father's daughter. She's already married the father. Yeah. Um, and I don't know her personally, so that is a mean and nasty thing to say. But her politics is, you know, is very father-daughter-ish. And, yeah, it, um, it it feels like it's more of the same kind of a thing. Yes, and I and, think and, that's why people say about Elizabeth Warren, she's passionate, she has a standpoint. Um, she's not afraid to tell the, the patriarchy, you're wrong and you should die. <laughs> yeah, 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 when she went up against the bankers. And, you know, this might sound crazy, but even Hillary's pantsuits, you know, there's something about Hillary's pantsuits that make me feel like it's, um, you know, sort of um, the feminine trying to conform to the masculine. Yes. I, I know that's probably crazy, but no, it, I but know, you, but it's true. It's you know, true it, it's in like when ways. when when women first entered the workforce and they, you know, kind of tried to look like men so that they would be accepted. Right. You know, my I think that women and feminine consciousness, we it's not just that women have to be equal. We have to allow the right brain its say. We have to say feminine consciousness, which is imagination and emotional intelligence and instincts, are just as important as rational thinking. Yeah. And when we have that balance, okay, we will be wise. And that's how you get wisdom. And I would love to see somebody running our country, a woman in a gypsy skirt, you know. That would be, to me, that would be freedom for women right there. Well, you know, um, (laughs) what you're just saying, you reminded me of an article that I read a month or so ago, and I think I shared it here on the show. Uh, MIT researchers came out with this um, study, and they came to the conclusion that the smartest 
um, the smartest, uh, if you were a business, um, you wanted to put together not necessarily the smartest people, but you wanted to put together um, groups that had women included. And why was that? Because women use automatically use their intuition. Women know how to read between the lines. With women, it's not just black and white. You know, women, you know, have that ability to sort of see and hear the unseen, if that makes sense. And that creates better outcomes. But, you know, here, you know, I guess now we've all known it, but because MIT says it, well, I guess it must be true. But it was still nice to see that that validation and that acknowledgement, you know, coming out of an, you know, an institution of, you know, that's respected and of higher learning like that, you know, given so, so much kudos to the natural state of the feminine. Yes, and and as and as more and more people um, realize the despair, you know how we have treated women and the feminine. Because I don't think regular people even see it. I think it's so ingrained and so unconscious. So even though it's sad and horrific that we see these stories of domestic violence and women being hurt, the more that women step forward and speak of it. Um, you know, the more that that regular people will go, oh, you know, and they're not gonna and they're not gonna necessarily see how their actions downplay that. But as long as women hear it and we step up with courage and and um, and own our own standpoint and aren't afraid and and reject when men tell us we're crazy and stupid and wrong when we have a, an intuition about something. Um, that things will change and it will be a different and better society, most definitely. Yeah, I think so. Well, um, were there? What more did you want to tell us about the fairy tales? Um, because well, I, I don't know if you have time. But, um, I was going to tell you my favorite fairy tale, one of my favorite stories. Well, and yeah, I don't know don't if you we, have time. Yeah, why don't we go ahead and do that? Go ahead. Well, you know, one of the things that um, Alice Walker, not Alice Walker, Barbara Walker and, and Charlene Spreckman, they were talking about with the fairy tales is that, they're, you know, these heroines, they weren't really strong heroines. And, um, and there were so many stories of strong heroines in ancient times that um, I had to come back with, this is my favorite heroine, and she's a storyteller. And, and that's the other thing. I've been saying this for 20 years. We need to change our stories. We need to change the stories about the world, about ourselves. If we want to make a change, we need to change the story. We need to rearrange everything and and see a different picture. Mm -hmm. So this is the story of Scheherazade. And I love it because it tells you, um, it gives you right in the story, and I'll tell you when, the reason the rest of the story occurs. Once upon a time, there was an ancient king who ruled over China and India, and he was a good king. And when he died, he left two sons, and one was Shariar, and the younger one was Naman. And Shariar ruled the country well, as, you know, too, and, and when his brother grew up, he gave him a kingdom to rule on his own. So many years later, Shariar said to his grand vizier, I miss my brother, I'd like to see him before I die, and I'm going to go visit him. And the grand vizier, the prime minister, 
um, said, oh, no, that's not appropriate, not at all. Um, let me go in your stead. And so, of course, he sent him with all the gifts that you read about in the Arabian Nights stories, you know, the, the jeweled saddles and the beautiful virgins and the Mameluke slaves and and everything. And um, so when the Grand Vizier got to the brother, Naman, um, he was, the brother was happy. He said, yes, I'll go back to visit my older brother. And he prepared to leave. And the night before he was leaving, everybody was in the tents outside the city. And Naaman realized he had left a jewel behind him in his room that he wanted to give his brother. So he went by himself back into the palace to his bedroom. And what should he find there but his wife, the queen, making love with a black slave. And he became so furious that he took his sword and he cut them both in half and killed them. And he ran away, he left, and he went back to the tent, and he didn't tell anyone about what he did. And so on his travels back to his older brother, he was very morose and depressed. He wouldn't eat, and he got sick, and nobody knew what to do. And when he was with his brother, he was depressed as well. Well, after a while, and there was nothing anyone could do, the doctors couldn't figure it out, because he wouldn't tell anybody what had happened. <laughs> Typical, Right. So anyway, um, the older brother, Shariar, goes off hunting, and the younger brother stays behind. And so he's looking out into a garden, you know, to those beautiful lattices that they have in, in the Arabian architecture. And he looks down into this beautiful garden, and he sees the, the, the queen come out with these 20 slaves with her. And um, But suddenly they all throw off their cloaks, and he sees the 10 are Mamelukes, who are white slave uh, men, you know, soldiers, and the other ten are the girls from the harem. And then the queen yells, oh, Sahib, come and get me, and this big black slave leaps over a wall, and they all start making love and having an orgy in the garden. Well, when the brother sees this, he sort of perks up, and he goes, well, if this could happen to my brother, who's a much bigger king than I am, why should I feel bad about my wife? And so afterwards he eats and he gets better. And when his brother comes home from the hunting, he says, what happened to you? And he says, oh, you know, I got better. So he goes, no, no, why did you get better? So he told his brother about, you know, his betrayal by the queen and how he had killed her. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, the older brother said, I'm so sorry for that. But why did you get better? And the younger brother didn't want to tell him, but finally he did. And and his older brother, Shariar, goes, oh, if that ever happens to me, I'd kill everybody. And so then when he finds out that his wife is betraying him, he can't believe it. So they make believe they're going out hunting again a few days later, and the two brothers sneak back to the castle, the palace, and the next day they see the same thing happen. And the queen and, and the slaves are all having an orgy. So the two brothers look at each other and they go, women, we can never trust them. They'll betray us totally. Let's leave. Let's go search the world and see if anyone has ever been betrayed as badly as we have. So they take off and they travel and they come to the ocean. And there's a tree a bit away, about a mile away from the ocean with a spring under it. And so they're drinking out of the spring. And suddenly they see waves start to build in the ocean. And the waves get bigger and suddenly a big um, smoke plume comes out of the water and it swirls around and swirls around until it turns into a giant genie, a djinn. And the djinn starts walking to shore. 
and the brothers get afraid and they jump up into the tree. They hide into the tree and they notice. And when the jinn comes to shore, he comes right to the tree and um, he takes this casket off his head and he puts it down on the ground and he takes a key, he takes seven keys and he has seven locks on his casket and he unlocks all of them and then he opens it up and out of it there's a whole other casket and out of it comes a beautiful woman. And the jinn says, oh, my dear, I'm so glad I stole you away on your wedding night. And no other man has ever had you. You belong to me. And um, and she said, yes, yes, my sweetheart, you know. And he says, I'm tired. So the jinn goes to sleep and with his head in her lap right under the tree. And the girl looks up and, he see, and sees the two kings above her. And she, and she crooks her finger and says, come down here, and she whispers it, and they sort of shake their head and go, no, no, and she goes, come down now, or I will wake this ugly Afrit up, and he'll kill you. So they climb down the tree, and she lifts the head of the giant um, gin off of her lap, and they walk around the tree, and she goes, okay, you guys, both of you have to make love with me. In the Arabian Nights, it's very, this is an aside, it's very sexual, so basically she says, you have to fuck me. And um, they go, no, no, I can't do that. And she goes, you better, because if not, I'm going to wake up the gin and tell him that you're going to do it to me anyway. And um, so hurry up, who's going to do it first? Mount me, let's go. And um, and so the kings, both the kings are going, okay, you go first, you go first. But finally they both do it. And um, she asks for their signet rings. And she pulls out a ring with 560 signet rings of all the other men that she has cheated on, you know, this gin. And she goes, that stupid gin or that stupid freak, that's one of the things they would call him, he thinks he owns me. And look at him. I have cheated on him this many times. He stole me away. He thinks he can lock me away someplace. And screw him. I'm going to get what I want. So basically then she goes back and sits down and puts the gin's head in her lap and tells the two kings to leave. And they look at each other and they go, well, if if he's been betrayed, who are we to feel bad? And so they go back to the castle. And there the king puts on his robe and he orders his queen to be executed. And he kills all of the women in the harem and the soldiers and the slaves. And then he decides that he can never trust a woman again. And so he gets his grand vizier and he says, bring me a, a virgin to marry tonight. And he marries the woman, the young girl, and, and makes love with her. And in the morning, he has the Grand Vizier kill her. And every day, he demands a new virgin to marry. And in the morning, he kills her because he cannot trust women. And he had been very beloved, but now his people hated him because he was killing all the young women. So meanwhile, the Grand Vizier, who has to procure all these girls, he has two daughters, but the king has said that they don't have to ever be given to him. But one of his daughters is Shehrazad, and she is beautiful and wise and intelligent, and she knows philosophy and history and stories. And she says finally to her father, you know, why are you so sad? And he, he tells her, and she says, well, that, you have to marry me to the king. And he goes, are you crazy? No way, I'm not, you can't, you'll die. She goes, no, 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 I have an idea. You have to marry me to the king. And they argue, and um, 
And finally, he has to give in because she says, if you don't tell, if you don't, I'm going to go to the king and say, you refuse to give me this. So she, so he goes to the king and he says, my daughter Shahrazad wants to marry you. And the king says, you know, you're going to have to kill her in the morning. And he says, yes, I know, but she's so stubborn and she wants to. So the king said, okay. Well, meanwhile, Shahrazad told her younger sister that um, in the middle of the night, she was going to have her come to the room where the king had her, had his way with her. And she said, and I want you to ask me to tell a story. So that day she was taken to the king and they got married. And at night he came to her room to make love with her. And afterwards she said to the king, can, since I have to die in the morning, would it be okay if my sister came? And so he said yes. And um, the sister came and so... As they were laying there, all three of them, the sister said, Shahrazad, will you tell me a story? And Shahrazad asked the king if he'd like to hear a story. And the king said, yes, go ahead. So Shahrazad started telling stories. But when dawn came, she was in the middle of the story. And so the king, and she had to stop. And the king said, well, you know what? I'm going to let you live one more night because I want to hear the rest of the story. And every night, for a thousand and one nights, Shahrazad told stories of love and loyalty, of betrayal and death and jealousy and hatred. And till she had told stories about the human life, about human life. And after a thousand and one nights, which is a little more than three years, she was finished with her stories. And she went before the king, and she had three little boys where she had stayed married to him for three years. And finally the king said to her, I honor you. You have told me the truth. You have opened my eyes to my evil way, my evil ways, and I honor you for it. And because of you, I see the error of my ways. And that is how Shahrazad, a storyteller, saved the women of her kingdom. Mm, nice story. So he never again took the virgins and killed them again in the morning. Nope. And it was because, and so here in a fairy tale, and this is just a frame story, there are many stories in the Arabian Nights. This is just like the frame story of what goes around it. And um, But you see, the whole problem is told in the story. The jinn or the afrit, they are spirits. They would represent kind of a a power in the land, if you will. And they that power or that belief was trying to own the women and lock them up. So I once see. again, when you try to do something to the feminine, just as if, if the feminine did it to the masculine, it would do the same thing in our psyche. But because the, there was a spiritual principle that said women are can be owned Okay, there was rebellion in the ranks, and because of that, because women weren't given their proper place, they rebelled, they they manipulated, they did what they had to do to survive and get their way. Okay, and that made the masculine even more distrustful and willing to kill off any new feeling tone, any new feminine feeling tone that came into the culture until. This woman or this feminine wisdom came in and made them understand this is how things work, okay? Mm. If you mm-hmm. if you tie up and lock something up, it will rebel. 
Yeah, right. If you right, dishonor right. it, it will dishonor you. Yeah. So it's 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 almost like that old saying, you know, um, that that you have to sort of let love go so that it can kind of come back to you, kind of a thing, you know. It's like yes. it, it it has to have freedom. Um, if you know, you love you someone, set them free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. So because our psyches work in duality, unfortunately, it does because that's what patriarchy is. Patriarchy, the masculine consciousness works in duality. It's solar consciousness. It's either light or dark. So, and and our and our ego structure at the moment is built on that kind of duality. And so it happens any time we repress something, when you repress a feeling, when you repress desires, it grows and festers in the unconscious, and it makes you do bad things unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like when uh things are re- uh when you know, think about the war on drugs, you know, when things are kept from you, you want it that much more kind of a thing. You know, you you want the thing that um uh, that that's forbidden. Right. And also you can't you can't own you really can't own the feminine. We try to. Like if the if one of the gifts of the feminine is the imagination, Here's an example of the father trying to own the daughter. Mm-hmm. What do we do with the imagination in our culture? We use it to sell things. <laughs> okay? Yeah. yeah. We do. We use it to sell things. What the imagination is for is the voice of, of the world, of the earth, giving us information about how to live. Yeah, so yeah, insight. So listening to the images... We're using the images. We're perverting the images. We are yeah. raping and pillaging the imagination. <laughs> mm. Right? You know, that, that that is so incredibly insightful, Kathy. Yeah, I, I totally get it. So it's so important. You know, the way I've been talking about it is we need to, like all of our stories, there's so many that are based on fairy tales, but... And some of them, they were good, like Maleficent, you know, where we talked mm-hmm. about that. But it's so important to get back. It's almost like um, the difference between Monsanto, sterile seeds, poison seeds, and the heritage seeds. If you're yeah. going to plant an organic garden, you want to buy heritage seeds, right? Right. In the same way, we need to get back to the ancient tales that tell us how to be humans. Because the stories that our culture has given us, they're like Monsanto's seeds. They're poisoned (laughs) and they're sterile. They don't take us any place. Yeah, they've been they've been perverted. They're poisoned. And the way we can tell it is, you can go to a movie and come back and sit down and turn on the TV. If a movie really, if a story really affects you, you can't come home and right away put on another story. You want to mull that story over. You want to let it live in you. Yeah, I talk about it and, and, and uh, you know, delve deep and, um, you know, try to look at it from, like, all the different layers. And also just feel it and and let it take off in your imagination and, and take you places. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, we we are sort of at the end of our time now. Um, what would you, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to wrap this up? I would say to all 
the, your listeners, um, we need to find good stories about ourselves, about the feminine. We have to not fall into a, a, a trap about reading the, the fairy tales as something that's very flat, but um, seeing it with, it with the depth and perception. You know, everybody in a fairy tale can be us. We're the masculine and the feminine. We don't have to be just, oh, we're the, we have to, the heroine who needs to be saved. There's so many fairy tales in which the heroine does good stuff. You know, yeah. she's brave and she does the right thing and she gets rewarded. Um, there's fairy tales from all cultures that are like that. So, um, you know, even though we've gone through this hard time in which we've been devalued and the feminine has been devalued, the ancient stories, they speak to how we can find value even in those dark places. Okay. We in we just have to places. have to seek out those new stories and failing that, uh, rewrite new ones. Well, and find the old stories and rewrite them from there. Definitely. Absolutely. Use the seed of the old story to create the new. Well, it sounds like uh, you with your storytelling, you're, you are on your way to doing that. And I'm looking forward to reading your, um, your fairy tales for the eight, uh, the, you know, the eight pagan gateways of the year. Well, Kathy, thank you so much um, for all of that that you've shared tonight. You've given us a lot to think about. And um, listeners, you can uh, find Kathy at uh, one of her three websites. We have Staroftheboard.com, and she is certainly star born of the that. Bard. Star, yes, yes Bard star of the, the ancient storytellers. So exactly. that is that's sort of the storytelling site. Yeah. Yeah, and then wisdom of astrology with dashes, uh, and imaginecoachingservices.com, or just email her at Kathy with a C, Kathy at wisdomofastrology.com. Well, Kathy, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to uh, having you back um, next month. Next and month. you, can, yeah, you can let us know how we're, you know, how how we're dealing with the cosmic story. Okay, thank you so much, Karen, for having me on. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for all the wisdom you've shared tonight. And good and night. Pay and pay attention to your dream tonight. Maybe the stories will come to you in your dream. Sounds like a good idea. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Well, we are crossing the threshold into the latter part of the show, and I think you know that sound. And uh, to make sure uh, we don't run out of time before uh, I share this with you, I have the um, the What's the Buzz segment. You know, when the bees are buzzing around on it. Uh, I found this um, uh, that Jada Pinkett Smith wrote, and I wanted to share it. It's called The War on Men Through the Degradation of Women. And these are the words of Jada Pinkett Smith. And uh, I think she might have presented this um, uh, you know, at some panel. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it was, but uh, um, most definitely it's, it, it's very potent. So uh, it goes like this. Uh, As we look at societies where the women are lost, struggling for education and otherwise disregarded, versus those who consider women the center of their communities, Jada's words ring all the more truer. Read what she has to say below. 
And all right, so here's where it actually starts. How is man to recognize his full self, his full power, through the eyes of an incomplete woman, the woman who has been stripped of goddess recognition and diminished to a big ass and full breast for physical comfort only, the woman who has been silenced so she may forget her spiritual essence because her words stir too much thought outside of the pleasure space? The woman who has been diminished to covering all that rots inside of her with weaves and red-bottomed shoes. I am sure the men who restructured our societies from cultures that honored women had no idea of the outcome. They had no idea that eventually even men would render themselves empty and longing for meaning, depth, and connection. There is a deep sadness when I witness a man that cannot recognize the emptiness he feels when he objectifies himself as a bank and truly believes he can buy love with things and status. It is painful to witness the betrayal when a woman takes him up on that offer. He doesn't recognize that the creation of half a woman has contributed to his repressed anger and frustration of feeling he is not enough. He then may love no woman or keep many half-women as his prize. He doesn't recognize that it's his submission in the imbalanced warrior culture where violence is the means of getting respect and power as the reason he can break the face of the woman who bore him four children. When a woman is lost, so is the man. The truth is, woman is the window to a man's heart, and a man's heart is the gateway to his soul. It goes on uh, a little bit more. It says, power and control will never outweigh love. May we all find our own way. So I, I thought this was beautiful, you know, because it speaks to um, how men are damaged and, um, you know, how we have to we have to heal the masculine and the feminine. And the, you know, feminine can't uh, prop up the the diseased masculine, uh, if you will. So um, I owe uh, Joe Carson a commercial here. So here we go. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming. And it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding. The core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen. We all hallucinate we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past and right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales, or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. There we go. We hear that uh, same theme running again because it is so important. 
Um, that is uh, some excerpts from um, the documentary Dancing with Gaia uh, by Joe Carson. And um, uh, you were listening to uh, Serena Ronnie Dougal, one of the you know many experts uh, speaking on the film. Uh, it uh, reminds us about uh, connecting with the earth, um, with um, how to restore our sacred sexuality, uh, all the things of the feminine that, um, as we talk about so often, all the things that have been lost. So uh, you can go to dancingwithgaia.com and uh, you can get the documentary uh, film and uh, there's also a little mini book that goes with it. And uh, I've mentioned it a couple times before, but I just uh, very quickly want to remind you that uh, March is a busy month. Uh, the 14th of March uh, here in Southern California, we're going to be doing a sistrum making class in uh, Venice Beach. And, uh, you know, the sistrum was um, the uh, instrument of some of the ancient Egyptian uh, priestesses. Uh, Herodotus said when uh, a priestess uh, would shake the sistrum, it kept the uh, energies of the universe flowing. Uh, they were sacred to Hathor, Bast, and um, Isis. And we're going to be making a metal and um, wooden sistrums, or sistra in, in the plural. Also, the very same day is uh, the kickoff of our pilot program at the Venice Beach Library. We're going to be starting the Joseph Campbell Roundtables there. Um, so the morning of March 14th, actually before the sistra-making class, Dr. James Reedfeld will give a talk about Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, he's the expert. Uh, he's also the co-leader of our tour to Turkey in May. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. And uh, if you're interested in ancient cultures, uh, particularly Artemis, Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Magna Mater, Hecate, then you're going to want to know about the book launch party and ritual for Artemis of the Ephesians uh, that we're going to be doing at the Goddess Temple of Orange County in Irvine on March 28th. Uh, Dr. Reedfelt is going to give a very brief talk on Artemis of the Ephesians, and then we are going to do... Uh, a fantastic ritual as it was done in ancient times. We're going to be using um, material that has never before been published, and uh, we're going to delve into the Ephesian letters, which were some of the most powerful, magical words of ancient times. Uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. So you don't want to miss that free uh, talk and ritual uh, the night of March 28th at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. Uh, doors open at 6.30. Be there then because uh, they're going to be locked at 7. And if you don't make it on time, I'm afraid you will, um, you will be, um, you know, you will have to be turned away, unfortunately. So uh, get there early. And uh, speaking about the Goddess Temple, um, do you know that... Um, they have Sunday services uh, every Sunday, as well as all sorts of events during the week. Uh, for instance, uh, the Venus Hour every Friday, uh, where they do uh, movie nights and networking, and they have uh, you know healthy snacks and libations. And the fourth Sunday of the month uh, is actually services for families. So it's not just women on fourth Sundays. You can bring your family and uh and, you know, your male friends or, or partners. Uh, so anyway, you know, the Goddess Temple down in Orange County, 
you know, there's only uh, a few actual brick-and-mortar 24-7 goddess temples on the face of the earth. It's no small deal that we have one uh, in Orange County. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you most definitely want to make time to. And you might even want to become a member of the goddess temple. You'd have the distinct privilege of belonging to one of the only brick-and-mortar goddess temples on Mother Earth. Yes, indeed. Then coming up in mid-July, we have the Goddess Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's back on the it's back on the calendar. I'll be telling you more about that. And uh, as I already said, uh, we have the the Sacred Tour to Turkey coming up in May. I've spoken about it a lot of times, so I'm not going to go into detail. But we are getting very close to the point where um, it will, you know, we're going to be closing off registration. So if you have been thinking about it and sitting on the fence, uh, you can't sit on the fence much longer. We need to hear from you sooner rather than later, and I say that uh, with all seriousness. And uh, my dear listeners, uh, I know I kind of feel like PBS, um, uh, you know, begging for money here, but uh, if you would like to support the show, if uh, you would like to support my work, uh, I would invite you please to do one of several things. Please go to my website, KarenTate.com, go to the Goddess Store page, go all the way down to the bottom, and uh, there is a button there where you can make a donation of any amount. Uh, It would also be great if uh, you bought uh, one or two or three of my books. And uh, if you say you heard it on my show, I will do a special deal for you if you're in the United States. If you purchase two of my new books, you will get free um, my other book, Walking an Ancient Path. So buy two, uh, Goddess Calling, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and you will get Walking an Ancient Path free. Just say you heard me offer the special uh, on uh, my radio show in February. All right. Now, uh, to close tonight's show, uh, I want to share with you a quote that I think is so important. And yes, it might have been said by a man, but you know what? That's okay, because men are wise too. Um, it's It's important on so many levels. This is a quote by Paulo Freire. And he said, Washing one's hands of the conflict between the powerful and the powerless means to side with the powerful not to be neutral. One more time. Washing one's hands of the conflict between the powerful and the powerless means to side with the powerful, not to be neutral. Think about that. Let it really soak in. And the next time you're afraid to speak up, uh, the next time you don't want to make waves, you don't want to be uppity, you want to be polite, remember that. Remember that. You're not being neutral. You're not being neutral as you think you are. And also Cornell West said, justice is love made public. Justice is love made public. And I so believe that too because um, social justice uh, is the way I think our institutions show their love, if that makes sense, social justice is the way our institutions can show their love for its citizens. I think I just made a quote. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, My dear listeners, remember next week I will be with Nina Smart. Uh, We will be talking about the horrendous uh, act of female genital mutilation that goes on. 
And uh, I will also, on a lighter note, be uh, sharing with you from my Sacred Places of Goddess 108 Destinations book, uh, I will be talking to you about the the goddess of Mardi Gras or the pagan roots of Mardi Gras because Mardi Gras is actually Tuesday. That's right, uh, Fat Tuesday. So I believe uh, that will do it for us for tonight. Um, I want to close with uh, our sacred roar. And here we go. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.